Yeah, we don't need any of that. Hey, I'm back. Is this long? How long? Wait, I don't even remember. It's been too many days. I feel like I haven't been here in a while. Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, back from my Alaska journey. Uh, just settling in. I took the Memorial Weekend off, didn't do a whole lot. Kind of kind of slugged it a bit. And, but uh, let me tell you what, man, that trip coming back, whoa. I wish I could tell you the story, because, but it's so unbelievable, but it was like crazy. The, the, the flight crew was pulling some really wacky, weird shit, and I saw like every bit of it. Put it this way, if I said, hey guys, I saw an, a, a, you know, a UFO out the window flying back from Alaska, it'd probably be more believable than if I told you the actual story of what I saw. It was just insane. I don't know what that flight crew was doing, but it kind of wasn't cool. Whatever. Guys should get help for that. Anyway, um, so uh, I wanted to kind of get caught up. I had that good conversations with Mark and stuff. I, and I want to go over a couple things because lest it sound harsh. I mean, I know sometimes we come off kind of like, you know, harsh and all that stuff with certain products and things. And I just want to go in to put some context into background with it, there's so much out there that's just trying to get your attention and guys will tend to fall for it and be like, oh, what about this product? And, you know, a lot of it comes down with scopes and stuff because you can OEM them. I mean, if we wanted to have an everyday sniper scope, all I have to do is go to Light Optical, figure out what my budget is. And don't get me wrong, man, some of them scopes, those guys can pay like 50 bucks or less for a scope and then charge you a couple hundred for it. And it's the, you know, replace model. It don't work and it replace. And there's a lot of that out there. And so um, I kind of don't want you guys to kind of think like we're being overly harsh on some of that, uh, the, the buying decisions. We're, we're, we're trying to help you. It's, it's a case of not just buy once, cry once, because we're not always going in that two $3,000 direction, but it's trying to be smarter with your money. You know, the funny thing is I'll come up to a class or I'll be talking to somebody anywhere and it happens in the class. We'll be sitting around and we'll say, oh, yeah, you know, we spec'd out the Tika and or, you know, oh, I got the APO rifle and that's working real good. And somebody will go in and go, what do you think about the Bagara? And it's like, oh, the Bagara is a good rifle. They do a good job. They put it together. It's low cost. And it's like then you go, oh, good. That's because I brought it. You know, you can almost always tell when somebody's going to do that. You know what I mean? And it, it happens with scopes a lot more. And, like, just to go back on that primary arms and stuff, because, I mean, I know the guy just bought it, and it was all it, – it, there was nothing sort of non-standard, or it was a lot non-standard. The reticle was non-standard. The, uh, the turrets, like Mark said, were mushy, and – you know, I didn't think they worked just initially, and then I came back and thought, okay, well, they look like they're probably working, and then some things kind of changed again, and then Chet went in and uh, re-zeroed, and they, it didn't return to zero, and it was off. You know what I mean? So what we're trying to do is not just save you guys a little bit of time and money, but also, you know, the rest of the class. I When I got to wrench on like five different uh you know optics and i'm replacing everything you think about it we replaced two rifles we replaced multiple scopes and we just don't have that much backup when you get you know guys and it's not just a case of 
hey, that hunting rifle's a little too much for you. There's cases where this, you know, like that Savage Stealth, it it was really not shootable in its configuration. And so, you know, Mark got on it and shot like a, you know, four-inch group, three-inch group, whatever the heck it was. And it's that combination of errors. You shave a little bit of money here, and it looks kind of cool. The picture looks great. And then you shave a little money over here because it seems like it would be a good pair. You know, and it just doesn't pan out that way. And it turns into a crappy experience, you know. Like I said, this was the first time we had an RPR that needed to be wrenched on. But it's not the first time I've recommend somebody say, hey, just take that RPR and take it apart, put it back together and torque it down right, and then see how it works. That has worked for some guys, you know, who thought they had a lemon. And it, it, it sounds crazy and all that stuff, but we're really just trying to help. And I know it comes off like we're like, leave it alone, don't go near it, ah, heads on fire. And, and, you know, and it's not really that case. It's just like stick to the mainstream stuff. I mean, really, the only sort of OEM non-brand I would say to even go near right now, other than, you know, you could do the SWFAs. Like I said, I like them. They're really good. You could do like an Athlon. But, I mean, when you start getting into these brands and names, you never ever heard of and it's not something being talked about in the forum it's like wow guys you know this is just so far off the radar it's probably kind of more closer to air rifle or 22 you know something in a walmart that that a name you know like we don't i mean they're out there and there's a lot of them and some guys like them like that nico sterlings and stuff you don't see us recommending them we're not like out there going oh man just just spend the money get a nico you know, and it's like, nah, you really, if you want to shoot, I mean, this is precision rifle. If you're coming into this space, it's precision rifle. It's not, you know, surplus ammo plinking stuff. It's not spraying prey AK or AR stuff. It's supposed to be precision rifle. And we're looking at this to be an inch or better. And if the combination of errors we, not we, but you put together can't make that one inch, you know, uh, and and this is not you. We're not talking about you being the one inch shooter. We're talking about the system. Well, then, you know, some bad decisions were made and we're just trying to kind of fix that. So um, that's one of the things that I wanted to bring up. Uh, you know, in case we sounded a little bit too harsh. Hey, speaking of aliens and stuff, Washington Post just said UFOs exist and get over it. You know, it's in the Washington Post. This is part of that Brookings Institute. Okay, the Brookings Institute basically said we couldn't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. And um, so they're trickling it out, and it's a it's a game to acclimatize us. You know, so it's it's crazy that this articles are all coming out new ancient aliens this week man they're talking about it and they got a lot of footage in this stuff from what i'm seeing gotta have a sip of my coffee i haven't had coffee yet um it's that just trying to get everything up get running uh speaking of up and running another update now that i'm back alaska the whole thing so my computer I had my main computer, I blew that memory chip, right? A memory chip died and I had a bunch of cascading failures and a bunch of issues and it was wrecking that video initially. Well then, hang on, allergies, trees are all blooming out here. 
So then, um, you know, I took it into Apple. They had it for two days, and then they finally found, like, you know, a part of a memory chip was bad. And when you look at, like, the video and the software and everything, I'm a little, I'm, I'm rocking, you know, a 2013 Mac Pro, you know, the trash can deal. And it's it's kind of time to get changed out, but I'm really not in the zone to be changing it out right now, especially because there's supposed to be a new one around the corner. So it's like this would be the worst time to be buying uh, the new computer from them because June, which is like a day or two away, has that um, that conference they're going to have and they're going to probably announce a new Mac Pro. So I'm going to wait. So I did that uh, GPU, that external GPU, and when I came home and I turned the computer on, it did an update. So as soon as it came back on, of course, black screen because I'm coming, th- you know, through the GPU and I've bypassed uh, the HDMI and the ports that way from in the back of the computer. So I'm just a display port out. Well, with the update, so the GPU w- was taken out of the equation. But when it start, I plugged the HDMI back in to get my screen up. And when it started back up, this was kind of cool. The, the the software for the GPU, which actually had to be installed, you know, in the through the terminal, wasn't even like a package or anything. I had to do lines of code in the terminal. It came up and said, hey, do you want to reapply this fix? We disabled it for the update, but now it's working again. And, you know, do you want to use it? And it was like, hell yeah, I want to use it. Clicked one button, restarted the computer. I'm back on GPU, so I really, I'm super happy. I mean, it it fires up quicker. It seems to be working a lot better. It's pushing my big monitor, uh, you know, nice uh, as far as that goes. So really happy that it, it definitely, you know, put some new life into this computer. The only, you know, downside is that I, I had a, basically, I reinstalled and did everything clean, making sure I was in a new space. So yeah, I'm working on trying to find you know, where this file is, where that file put it, you know, cause I just threw them in a, in a backup folder on one of my, um, my many drives over there, but, uh, no, it's been cool. And then, uh, I did work over the weekend on the PowerPoint. Like we mentioned, I think I streamlined the Alaska one down pretty good. I still have to like split up the, uh, the, um, Colorado one, the Colorado. So it's going to be like a 90 versus 120. You know, but we because we do the win class and because we want to start talking the ballistics for, you know, guys in the class and have like little blocks, I don't want to run them through like a five-hour PowerPoint and then go out on the range. I want to do like two, three hours, do a little shooting, do an hour the next morning, do shooting, and do an hour the last morning, and then do the shooting and and split it up that way is kind of how I want um the uh the Colorado class to go that's not possible really in in Alaska and it's only a two-day class in Alaska but I did tweak on that one quite a bit I redid it I added a couple that were missing I pulled out the redundant slides and stuff like that and and really the ballistics and talking the g values is the biggest I will be so happy when we're done with g value stuff and we're just basically talking about like a form factor plus or minus, you know, the true stuff. Because the G's just confuse people too much. But I'm going to jump into the app really quick. And uh, we got a bunch of questions and everything that I didn't, um, you know, uh, I didn't reach. So I'm going to go and see what we got here. Um, 
So let's see what we got. Uh, let me. Can you all go over rifle setup as far as adjusting the recoil height and can't? I just got the first chassis that allows the recoil pad. Um, well, let me go back a little bit. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, set that up. So we like the recoil pads that adjust. The AI is our favorite. It's 360, up, down, left, right. Oh, you know, it's all over the place. It's a circle. It goes up. But the positions, okay, let's look at number one, up and down. Let's talk positions. If you move your recoil pad down, that's for standing, okay? Because you're trying to get more purchase on the shoulder. We're up, we bring it higher to our head. Think about this in service rifle iron sights, right? That toe, they just put that toe into their shoulder with a 5.56. So you would bring the recoil pad down. Then if you're doing sitting or kneeling, it's technically supposed to, or even alternate positions, and this is for PRS too and stuff like that, you would be in a more neutral space, okay? So that it's in the center, and that's for, you know, that, that kind of stuff there. Well, when you get to prone, you raise it all the way up, so that way you get more support, and it doesn't try to go under your shoulder. And we're coming up a little bit higher with the bipods. We're still... No change in that. The the little bit taller in the prone is it for longer range. Now, like, like I said, don't get me wrong. You got to put things in context here. The taller bipods work in training and in prone shooting. If you're shooting F-class or stuff, you can go up a little bit taller. You could be more comfortable. I mean, granted, F-class has no interaction behind the rifle. But say you're shooting and, and put, if I say F-class to you guys, think FTR, Okay where you're required to have some type of bipod, 308-223, not the open with the $1,000 seven position rest and the $250 rear bags. Because those guys are doing minor minimal influence. The open division is belly bench rest. The FTR is a little more shooter input. You got to have a bipod, rear bag, things like that. So for that, in a way... um. This, if if you, uh, hang on, I'm just getting freaking blitzed with a bunch of texts all of a sudden. It's like, leave me alone. I get it. It's back to work. And he says, so, um, so up a little higher on the bipod, those uh, elite irons are really good, uh, you know, and that gets you a good wide stance, good support on the rifle, could return. So uh, that is definitely working for people um, there. And then the left and right, sometimes what I'll do is I'll, I, I kind of can't mine a little inboard because my shoulder pocket is over. It's not, think about your, your muscle and around uh, out wide. It's a circle out there, your deltoid or whatever. And so inside you're going to be a little bit, so you can almost keep it kind of loose and set up behind the rifle and not super loose. It's just enough and move it into and, and get behind it and check your natural point of aim. Okay, close your eyes, go through a couple breathing cycles, open your eyes and see where the reticle is and see if that naturally moves that that pad over because that should do it. So, um, you know, as far as the left, right, but it's usually about, uh, uh, mine is less than a two degree can't in the butt pad. And just understand if you're going to switch shoulders, you might find a little uncomfortable, but then again, those two, you know, the five shots you're going to take from a support side, maybe, Shouldn't bother you that much. 
Uh, there was a question about, you know, guys want it neutral. This came up on Facebook, uh, and the Rifles Only did like a no bullshit Q and answer Facebook group or something. And somebody who listens to this uh, podcast uh, and with Phil and with everybody set the back of the rifle up to them in the prone and the whole thing. And then, you know, Jacob was like, no, I want it neutral for support side. Jacob's a mega support side guy. If you're not somebody who's going to chase support side, you know, you could set it up that way to more comfort for your strong side. Just understand, it, you know, every time you go out, Take five shots from the support side and get used to it being set up that way. And you're in there, you're going to adapt. We can adapt to all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? We, we can do so many different things that don't negatively affect us because it, we're practiced, we're used to it. And, you know, a lot of guys are already doing that with their rifle set up that it's wrong to begin with. So they're already wrapping themselves around the rifle. Um... For class, man, you know, I think you should really, before you come, instead of, like, you know, practicing, number one, get a zero and try resetting your turrets, okay? The scope conditioning is the worst offense we see. Then get in that prone position and fall asleep behind that rifle. Open your eyes and see if that, this is what you actually do before. I'm kind of cart in front of the horse, but... Get in your prone position. Get down behind the rifle. The, the, you can take the scope off. You know what I mean? And then get that stock. Get that shoulder. Get up a little on your elbows so you're not laying on your forearms. Get that bipod adjusted level for your body type. Okay? Then get your cheek and all that stuff where it might need to be and adjust it and look at it. Fall asleep on it. Then bring the scope to you, okay? And make sure you can open your eyes. Then go zero it, understand your turrets, and study your reticle, okay? The, the biggest thing that I'm taking, like I, I used to do in the PowerPoint, and I just got rid of all of it pretty much. I used to tell you the difference between a front and second focal plane. I used to give break down the mill versus MOA versus inch per 100 yard. I used to talk about matching your turrets to your reticle and how to use that. What you see is what you get. Now I got to teach you how to basically use your scope because we're finding guys, and the more people you get, um, uh, 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 the more people you meet, the more people come to class. I guess I'm trying to think of a word not associated. The more people you get introduced to, I think is the word I was looking for. The more people you're introduced, they're out there from a broad spectrum across the entire, you know, from the the guy who, who who's a, a, a tradesman or something or, you know, working one kind of job to a guy who's a doctor or a lawyer with mega bucks working another job. It's all the same. You're equal in that. The, the, uh, the, the, I almost want to say the lack of knowledge, but the, the lack of understanding of your optics of your system is becoming more and more evident. We're seeing more people. I mean, we've done, you know, now we just did, God, it's over almost 500 students in Alaska alone. Okay. Very different culture than the lower 48. I've done thousands of students, you know, but a lot of the, that bulk of them, when you go back to the early days of this, we didn't have this rush of product like we do now. I mean, I, I mentioned this. I'm walking around SHOT Show, and you're, you're, you're hearing people talk, you know. 
and it's like, you know, precision rifle is the fastest growing sport. Bah, 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 bah. Precision rifle is the precision rifles where the money to be made. Trump slump on the AR, Trump slump on the handgun, but precision rifle selling. So they want their own scope. They want their own this. They want their own that, you know, and it turns into this case of you're getting blitz with choices, but then they don't line up to mainstream. They have some wacky idea or they, they see something that is either out of favor or never was in favor and shouldn't have been, and they add that to it. You know, it was it was like that primary arms radical. I don't know what the heck they were thinking with that radical. It was crazy, you know, and, and it was like, ooh, this is not a precision rifle. It reminded me of the Israeli, that uh, Gimrod or whatever the heck that right thing was called. I think it's like a Gimrod or something. Um, thing and at, it's just you, you see it on TV more than you see it in the real world. You'll see this kind of Russian-looking uh, PU reticle, and then the Israelis had like a version. Next thing you know, it's out in the wild, and it's like in you know 2019. I'm looking at something that looks like the Russian reticle from not only World War II but Vietnam and stuff. It's like ooh, e blot, dude. You know, floating dots work. Your two tenths adjustment, mills and, and things like that. So, um, then what does this one say? Sean, Sean was there. Hi, yes, the Android phone recording trigger was set. Um, oh, uh, so there was a video that Sean had taken and and uh, put it on Sniper's Hide. There's a ton of media. If you want to see what these classes are like, if you want to see the level of the uh, of attention uh, and all this stuff. Go to Sniper's Hide in the training section, Alaska Precision Rifle Pictures. There's video. There's video of us with Sean um, when he was shooting and us jumping. Hey, don't crush the trigger. I mean minor. See if you can see it because you can see his trigger finger. Uh, and then it said, Berm at one. This is Sean again. Berm at 1K pigeons. on the, We were all popping pigeons within three to four shots. Yeah, we put. there's a 115-yard berm. We put clay pigeons on it. And um, so the guys will shoot the clay pigeons. Frank, thanks for answering my data book question. Second, finally signed up for the video on the hide. Like 90% of the questions asked are answered in there. So it's awesome you don't just shove uh, everyone there and take time and answer, but also uh, all the other guys. It's well worth spending the 15 bucks. So I have the Sniper's Hide online training. And there's, you know, 75 or something videos in there that answer a lot of this stuff. And it's 15 bucks a month, and I don't nail you and hit you up. I, eventually, I probably have to go up to like 20 But it's right now, it's still 15 bucks, and 15 bucks gets you access to all of them. And, you know, there's questions are answered, and usually the video answers them because it's not, there's a big difference between like my YouTube videos that are instructional. Those are usually three to five minutes, and they're hacked up pieces of my online training. So if you go in the forum, right at the top, there's a link that says upgrade in the um, nav area. You'll see like, you know, go here, go here, members, this, it says upgrade. If you click in there, you could sign up for the online training. It's $15 and watch the videos. They work pretty good. Uh, you guys are awesome. Thanks for all the info. Uh, two Block, he was there. I think he's the, I think Two Block, I'd have to go back and look. Um, he's the Q guy. Um, I'm grateful to have attended your training. I know some of what I didn't know before. I took a lot away from the course to be mindful uh, uh, of while working on improving my fundamentals. I improved as a shooter, enjoyed myself doing it. Food and service at Sheep Creek was great. 
Um, nice episode. What do you guys think about the primary arms? I yeah, I answered that. Um, uh, you know, I know he has a lot of them. I don't know. Like I said, to me, they're not precision rifle stuff. They're 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 talking to the lowest common denominator, making me crave an AX. You want an AX, dude? Um, so I'm just gonna tell you right now. Uh, Matthew Aldridge, fuck yeah, boy. Uh, Alaska Day TV. Mark and Frank are amazing tag team, both on the range and on the podcast. You are on the same page. Always great. Mark freaking threw me under the bus. I just finished telling everybody. I'm I'm calling win, man. Three tenths of win. Three tenths of win. Three tenths of win at a thousand yards. We go down range, and somebody brings up. I mean, there's wind. We could feel it in different places, okay? But at the thousand, he says, "Hey, there's no wind. Wouldn't this be spindrift?" I'm like, no, spindrift is, you know, it's a whole nother thing. If you want the short answer on spindrift, and, and here you go, dude. This this is it from the boat right stuff. This is the real deal. Depending on your caliber and your velocity and the direction of wind that matters. Depending on that stuff, it's between 1 and 1.2% of your elevation. That means, listen to this. That means if you're dialing 10 mils on your gun, it's 0.1, right? So, I don't know. Anyway, but who knows? Or is it 1? 0.1. 1, I think. I don't know, but it's small. But anyway, so I go to friggin', I'm not thinking, I'm, I haven't even had four sips of my coffee yet this morning. So, um, anyway... So I've said to this guy, don't worry about it. You're a new shooter. You're learning this. Just keep spin drift out of your mind. Dope the wind. Just sweat the wind. And Mark says he dialed on two tenths. So I said, Mark, he had 0.3 dialed on. The same thing I'm telling everybody else. And he goes, no, I got I got 0.1 for wind and 0.2 for spin drift. I'm like, are you friggin' high? I went to friggin' break his neck. I'm like, how dare you even mention that word? We don't mention that word the entire class. And you added it now. When I said, what's your spin drift? Because he had some, he was messing with his windage. And I'm thinking he just dialed on the point three, which he did. And he was just holding center. And then he turns around and goes, it was spin drift. I'm like, oh my fucking God, it's not spin drift. Like I said, uh, the, you know, everybody was holding that point six to point eight at gun sight. And when you played the wind and you worked in a reverse, it was point three, you know. So it's, it's basically 1%. So 1% of your elevation, and if you're dialing up to 10 and you want to throw 0.1 on, but think 0.1 is as thick as your damn reticle, okay? That's your reticle. Where's your zero? Where's all these uh, worry about everything else and not that? But, yeah, Mark threw me under the bus. So uh, we weren't tag teaming that great that day. Um, ding, 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 somebody ringing a bell. Um, oh, this is a big one. Hey, Frank, I have a question. Uh, when you were talking about the ballistics and some of those lists cut some curves versus Hornaday BC numbers, do you find one better than the other? I was using the Hornaday numbers in my Kestrel, and when I updated, it took all my info out. So when I went to put it back in, I chose the AB custom curve instead of putting one of those Hornaday published BCs. Um, do you find one more accurate than the other as far as custom curve versus... Um, my only thing, custom curves are Brian's like average in... Brian trying to fine-tune that. The only negative I see with the custom curve is you can't tweak it on the on the machine. It's that set at 1.0. And if it's not lining up, I've had a lot of guys that the custom curve doesn't line up for them. 
Okay, muzzle velocity, scopes, ranges, all this stuff. Here's the deal with Hornaday and their numbers. Hornaday is giving you a 2.5 mock value, a 2.0 mock value, and a uh, 1.5. They're taking their numbers and they're looking at it from 1,500 and they're boiling down their BC to 800 yards, which is what we've been telling you to do. Blitzes are still 300-yard averages. Now, his custom curve has a reading. He reads in multiple points throughout it versus a one-number average. With AB, you might be better off using a custom curve because it's designed with his software and, and through him. But those are still really just valid for him. I really wish you can tweak the custom curve number um, in the in the in the uh, Kestrel itself, I'm I I think in the big app you can tweak it and then upload it. But as far as in the Kestrel itself, you can't, and I don't think in the regular app you can. Um, there is one instance I'm pretty sure you can tweak the custom curve, but it's not designed to be tweaked. Okay. I personally think what Hornaday's doing, if you're going to go the BC route, and then on top of that, the axial form factor, you're better off. I think I think Hornaday's more accurate. If you want to know which one's more accurate, I think it's Hornaday. That's not taking away anything from what Brian's doing um, in his software. That tends to work really well. And, you know, if you true uh, muzzle or BCs with his program, you don't see any negative, really. You know, it's just the big swings in traveling where I have seen um, his his software tend to fall down. And, and look at it this way. When they were shooting Raton and King in two miles in a bigger way, they've actually reduced that team and there was a little bit of drama. But in the early years when they were winning King in two miles, they were going there and renting the place and truing. Okay, if it was... As simple as do it where they are, show up where you are, and go to town, they wouldn't have rented Raton for the big dollars that it is. They rent Raton for a reason that goes beyond practice. They rent Raton because there's premiums on first-round hits and getting that computer true to that location because from where they're located to that 6,000 feet of Raton is a big swing. DA there is like eight or 9,000 feet. So you're looking at a mega swing from the middle of the country to Raton. So it's in people's best interest to true that software there. And that's what they do. So um, just consider that. Uh, but I I tend to think Hornaday's doing a little bit better job. Their Ford off is, is a stronger piece of software uh, from the standpoint that Ford off added something 3DOF didn't have. And the flourishes that Brian puts in to give you Fordoff-like performance out of a 3DOF piece of software, I think he overdoes it, which I've mentioned many times, and these numbers need to come down. And so the mindset is it's more than likely going to help you and less likely to hurt you. Well, I have seen it hurt, as I mentioned, at Gunsight just recently, when you're adding 0.6 to 0.8 and you're holding on the wrong side of the wind. For guys who are used to F-class that'll bounce the X-ring and don't care what side of the wind they on, they're just kind of doing that little shimmy shuffle. Hey, man, I'm going to go a little here, go a little there. I just want to keep it in the X. That's great, but I'm trying to work my brain. 
I'm trying to line up my impacts and build a personal database to say, I think the wind is six miles an hour doing that call and hitting it. Where if I go, I think the wind is six miles an hour, but I dialed on too much spin drift, we counteracted that, and now I have to hold the wrong side of the wind. That just totally blows my brain and wrecks all the good work I'm trying to do to learn this stuff without the aid of a spotter and reference or guiding it in on target after the first or second round. You know what I mean? Think about that mindset, all right? That, okay, well, you know, uh, just go to the other side. No, if I'm going to the wrong side, there's a wrong number. I want that wrong number out of there because it's skewing my perspective. So that's where I'm at with that. Um, but I, I, I'm using AB. I have no drama with it, man. I, I, I use it. I just use it my way. And it does work because I, like I like the convenience of the Kestrel. Now, I pre-ordered the Hornaday Fordoff Kestrel. So once that comes, I may retire AB and go to Hornaday. But from a personal standpoint, I think we see less truing and less issues with both Hornaday and Tresol. For me, in the basic class, the goal is to give you solid data, right? Your yard lines and things like that allow you to put that real data in and have your software be within a tenth or two of hitting that target dead center. If we have to go through a truing process that's taking time away from everybody who's not using the software and who doesn't have to true, and I do tend to find regardless of what you put in AB, you're going to tweak it. So that's my only negative. But once you do, I think it tends to work. And then um, some guy says, oftentimes you say to correct muzzle velocity at 6 and BC at 100. How can you do that using Ford off? Um, it's muzzle velocity 6 and below in BC at 800, not 100. I don't know if that was a typo, but the 8 and 1 are nowhere near each other. So um, 800, dude, not 100. Um, Ford off, you can so totally do it. Um, if you're using their stuff, you bounce the axial form factor up and down because you're not using a muzzle velocity. If you're putting in your own data because it's not in their library, then you can tweak it. Okay, it depends on what bullet you're using. If you're using a Hornaday bullet in their library, you don't need BC. Genius, right? You do that axial form factor. If um, you're putting in a bullet that's not in their library and you're adding it manually with the BC, then you tweak it just the same. You just have to do it manually. So um, that's that question answered. Uh, what software are you using for the 300-yard drop calibration? Anything will work. You just need the inches of drop, but it doesn't work. The drop, uh, we found another er layer of error. I don't know how this happened. We zeroed everybody, reset everybody. He must have tweaked it when we re-zeroed and reset the turrets. We had one shooter on the line anomalously low because we had three identical rifles all set up. Two were tracking within a tenth of each other. This one was like four tenths off, if not more. And um, hang on, I need more coffee. <sighs> Thanks, man. Um, One side, I'm friggin' stuffed on one side, man. I hate when I can't breathe on one side of my nose. So... What happens is it was off, it was off, it was off, and we go back. So I'm not slowing the class down. I'm just making it what it is. And when we went back to that open shoot, I rechecked him. God, he was like four or five inches off on his zero. It was big. 
And I don't know how that happened because we go down the line and we're zeroing everybody and we're not moving on until somebody's close to something. Unless there was somebody shooting out of order on his target and we just didn't resolve. You know, we're dealing with 15 people and, and we'll say, shoot five rounds and we'll go down the line and go, okay, we see you, we see you, we see you. And then we're coming back and we're giving adjustments and then somebody will shoot and like pepper the board up and it's like, dude, wait, let's do it slow. But um, the 300-yard drop doesn't work. It, it, there's too much variation. We saw it here in Colorado with the Valkyrie. That didn't drop at all. We saw uh, zeros affecting the 300-yard calibration. I think it's going to be better to, to do it at six, like we talked about, and we put the target up, Mike and I. So um, I'm going to be doing it different. We're not doing we, – we're still doing the drop and group because I like the idea that – at the end of the day, I'm having to shoot a group at three and I'm able to look at it and see if I see an anomaly. And in this case, now I can use it as a learning experience to say, why did you drop like that? Let's check your zero and fix it before tomorrow morning. So there is the ability to diagnose an issue, but I like shooting a group on paper like that. Number one, it's going to tell on you. Number two, you can't see it. So you're aiming in at center, it's dropping low, and you're not seeing your group, so you don't chase the impact. And we saw the groups tend to improve by doing that. But doing it, calibration for software, I don't think it works. Um, you've convinced me to upgrade to a lean iron bipod. Have you had a chance to use the lightweight aluminum? Yes, a lot of guys are using the aluminum on the line. Excellent. I'm actually going to order some aluminum ones for myself. So we are using them. They are working out well. I think the aluminum ones look really good. The steel ones kind of look like steel. The aluminum ones were blacked out and all, you know, they were actually pretty trick. So I'm going to go in the aluminum direction myself. I'm doing the aluminum standard. Pick rail adjust. So um, that's that for that. But uh, that's definitely answering some of you guys' questions. Uh, like I said, we're, we're going through and, and this is a constant, constant process because you, you, you are um, exposed to so many different systems, so many different scopes, rifles, ammos, things like that. And, and man, it's, it's just amazing. Like um, with the hunting ammo, uh, we had a guy with a really great surgeon rifle, 300 WSM and you know, inside distances, he was hammering. I mean, one hole, really good. We got to seven, and, and six I saw it a little bit, but seven, and with the thicker air and the whole thing, you do see rounds start to fall apart at that 800. You know, like the, the joke of the 168 hitting the invisible wall and then hitting the ground at 800. In Alaska, you kind of see it a little bit. So... Here's a guy who's shooting, you know, sub half minute groups and pretty consistently out to about five, six. Then we get to seven and he's got about a nine, 10 inch vertical spread that shows up. It was hunting rounds. I didn't realize he was shooting hunting ammo through. He had hand loads, but he hand loaded a 180 soft point. That stuff matters, man. All these little things matter. You know, so at distance and stuff like that, where we take it at the same, we had a guy, Gary, with a, it's like some kind of Browning A-Bolt custom shop, really tricked out rifle, but it's, it's, it's semi-stock from Browning. I guess they have a, 
a, like a three tier. You can get like the big box store, the little better version, and then they have like a custom one. Um, and and I don't know the entire, but it was it was a pencil thin hunting rifle, and he was shooting Hornaday Precision Hunter out of it. He was first round hit everything and all the way out versus like that soft point. You know what I mean? So you do see like the Hornaday X and Precision Hunter carrying out better like a like a target training rifle versus the core locks and soft points and all those different hunting rounds we see guys bring. So it's all part of that system, you know? It's it's a lot of it. And um it, it, it shows up downrange, you know, it shows up as vertical spread in this case. Uh, it's still, you know, left, right was good. It's a, it's a 300 wisdom, but it had, it had an element of vertical spread to it. Um, and, you know, so this is all the things that you have to put through your head. Well, you know, what round am I picking? Don't get surplus. I, I honestly think right now, if you can, if you can get Hornaday, get Hornaday. You know, Prime has been trickling out some other things and there's some running around. If you can find some old Prime, get some Prime that's running around. I, I dig that. And Prime is the norm. I don't recommend you supporting them just because of the drama. But if you really wanted to, but uh, we saw like that, Um, it was like a blunt nose S&B gold color uh, I don't even know the whole story behind the ammo but it was a it was called like tactical 65 creed more in a 140 grain it, it was it was it was an uh, you know an inch and a half load and it was like damn I never heard of this I never seen it the bullet doesn't look like anything out there it was it was like a long 30 carbine bullet or something it was weird man but they called it tactical S and B and the guy in the shop recommended it. And it's again, it's that it's that errors. You know what I mean? You 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 got this scope. You got and, and like I said, the RPR was an anomaly that it didn't work. We took the break off and it tend it seemed like it was working better. Something was up at the break. But that, so there's a brake error. Then there's the scope error. Then there's the ammo error. And now you got a shooter, you're trying to diagnose his errors. And I'm trying and, and I said to him because he was taking instruction well. And I and I told him his reps weren't wasted. Cause at the end, I think he really looked good as far as his, his fundamentals go. The problem was you take the you take that the, you know, that period of time we're trying to diagnose and it's just chipping away at his confidence. And that's why we're, we say this. You know what I mean? Because I'd rather take your system out of the equation and work on you than have to fight your system while I'm working on you. You know what I mean? That becomes the hardest thing to manage for people. So um, that's why. That, we're not being harsh, man. I'm not trying to, like, call out an individual. I'm trying to say don't make this mistake because we see it once too often. And if we can prevent you from making it, you'll have a much better experience and learn more quicker. You know what I mean? That's where our head's at. So, uh, you know, and we're just straight to the point, man. Mark, I mean, you know, we're rah, marks to the point. And uh, 
it, it's not it's not personal. You know, nobody's going there and saying, Frank, you're a fucking idiot. What'd you buy that for? Jesus fucking Christ. You don't have an extra hundred dollars to buy the right fucking thing, Frank. Come on, Frank, get it straight. We're not doing that. We're, we're kind of more mad at the company for marketing this to you in that way than we are for you buying it like that. We get it, man. You, there's so many choices. Something kind of flags in the right um in in the right price point or in a lesser price point where you thinking well the specs and stats look good. The price point's a lot less than I wanted to spend. Uh yeah, but you know what, man? We 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 can like I was able to just to give you an example that 300 yard drop test that was the anomaly and the dope that was just off and we just thought he had a slow Tika you know because I have seen Tika barrels to be that slow when we found out is zero was off when we came back to zero I went all right dude do this boom we re-zeroed him it the the the, the night force SHV listened the Tika was running good and the ammo was good Hornaday ammo. Go to three, give me a center line hold. Put this on. Boom. Hit. Give me one more. Boom. Hit. Write that down. Go to the next one. Boom. Hit. Tweak it here. Boom. Hit. Write that down. Go to and I can run through with one guy and gave him the real established dope that then lined up with his brothers. You know what I mean? And so it was able to, because it wasn't a mechanical issue, uh, you know, a, a breakage. It was it was a zero that slipped or was off. Like it must he must have spun the turret or something, because it was beyond where we would have accepted it. You know, when when we came back, it was like six inches. And so, if we can repair that, which is easy. Oh look, the zero is way off. Fix it. Boom. All right, there it holds. Go out, go out, go out, check it. We're good. Now, here's what happens. We've now sent them home with solid data versus trying to fight it and maybe running out of time, maybe running out of the ability to put you in a better space because we're scope on. Is that good or bad? Scope off. Is that good or bad? Scope off. Uh, this, that, this, that. And, uh, you know, look at, Stuff, especially now, a lot of the AR companies are designing, you know, what they would consider semi-precision stuff for an AR. And it's making its way into the precision rifle world. So, you know, like the smaller bipods and different things like the Magpul. Yeah, you could put that on your AR. And in a pinch, you deploy it and it'll work. You can go through here and if you're only doing X amount of work and you need that bipod in a pinch, it's there. But when we're trying to shoot for accuracy, when we're trying to learn and we're trying to do all this stuff, we found it was a little too narrow, a little too together, and it just didn't support the rifle. Plus, that stock had no forearm. You know what I mean? So it was only like six inches, so it was back in the center. And when you're tall and narrow and you're back closer to the magwell, you get a lot of movement in the system. If it was out on a handguard that was out closer to the muzzle, you might not have saw that big a swing. But when it's back closer to the mag, well, now you see the swing. So that's that's one of the things that we noticed and why we like the bipods that have a wide stance and go out as close to the muzzle as possible. And, and that's, like I said, we see a difference. And we see it religiously. 
We're not just saying it to spend your money. I mean, this is the one, like I said, I fought Mark hard over that bipod because it was big. It's got some weight to it in that revolution in the in the center part. And it's really expensive to go to somebody and say, yeah, man, drop 600 bucks. And it's like, ah, you really hate to do that to a guy. But when you see the end results for somebody that's not going to do PRS, that's not going to be doing all this other stuff, it really works, you know? So it's just, trust me, I'm on your side with that. I fought it, and it's it's established itself. You, you know, like he says, when we have 8 out of 13 students with, a, with a Elite Iron, we don't have any issue. The canting is gone away. We're not, hey, man, you're rolled over. Hey, man, you're rolled over. Hey, man, you're rolled over. We don't have that. The canting is almost gone. If you think about what you spend for a bubble level on top of your bipod you're probably going to be using and then all this other stuff and then the work to keep that cant out of your system because it's not going to be out of that other one. It's going to be there. You're going to have it. I, I can tell you I will remove that cant from you. You don't need a bubble level and I just need to move you up and you're spending the same money. Same time, and it's less time and effort, but the same money overall. So you get a $400 bipod, you put a $150 level on it, you're up at the, the time for an elite iron. You know, spend another 50 bucks, you got it. They don't can't. They work really good. They support the firing task. They support your moving behind the rifle and running the bolt without rolling it over. You know, it really, really takes that out of the equation. You, you, you basically come in behind the rifle, point it to the target, right? Rifle pointed to the target. You get the, the, the top, you just look right over the top of your scope. You level it and you make sure it's not crooked one way or another. And you give that screw in the front a turn. And now you're back away from it and you don't have to go up there anymore. And you're locked in. You know, I leave mine just a tick loose you know, so I can adjust it if I do change position. But at the same time, you can lock it down and it does not move. When we're on a line all day and we're going through reps, you're not constantly chasing a bipod. That matters. All right, guys. Hey, man, I'm going to split. I'm going to leave you guys with this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. Thanks for going through, you know, our opinions and rants and things like that. I mean, we're just, like I said, we're not trying to be harsh to dudes. Um, we're just trying to make your life a little bit easier. And, and this is the way, you know, this is our way of doing it, mainly because this is where we see it and interact with you all. All right. Go on the Podbean app and comment. As you see, we read them. We enjoy them. I really appreciate it. We're trying to, you know, stack those numbers as much as we can and get those comments out there. But uh, it's definitely been, it was a good trip. I'm going to be back there um, next week. Uh, the six, man, I'm back uh, doing classes. We got a different mix of classes. This is going to be really interesting because I, I, I got to jump in, do a ton of PowerPoint and do a bunch of stuff because uh, we, we got some other classes that are not the same. And so uh, looking forward to that. Thank you, everybody who came to this last block of classes, especially you lower 48 guys. Um, really appreciate you coming up. I'm, I'm talking with Mark. I'm trying to. We got like we don't do the back to backs, the four days deals, um, you know, except in like July and September. But I may talk to him about doing like a, a three day, something a little extra for a lower 48 class. 
that can come up to Alaska. That's an extra day or two. So you can make one trip and get more training because we know it's not super easy to get up there. I know what I do it every friggin' time. You know, I get it. Man, that friggin' airline, that was so weird. I'm telling you, those people were nuts. Um, I saw what they were doing, though. Not cool. Anyway, all righty. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. I'm out. Mm-hmm.